Brenner, and I'm your host. From the Source aims to answer the question of what tech jobs are really like, both the good and the boring. Today, we're going to hear from Esprit Devora. Esprit, can you tell us what you're currently working on? Yeah, sure. I uh, produce and host the We Are LA Tech podcast and the Women in Tech podcast, and I create offline experiences for Los Angeles tech professionals. What does an average day look like for you? Uh, there's close to no rest, which I do not condone. <laughs> uh, I do fit in, um, exercise and being mindful. I use Headspace app to meditate, but an average day I wake up at 5am from 5am to about 7am. I, um, focus on fitness and just calming my mind to be grounded for the rest of the day. I plan out my day by 8am. I make it into the office by, uh, uh between eight and 10am, just depending on if I end up getting caught up. Um, working on emails on my phone, doing some phone stuff, or if I take a morning meeting, I make it to the office, stay focused for the majority of the day. I use, um, uh, what's it called? Focus at will in order, because I have a bit of ADD. So I use focus at will in order to stay focused during all my tasks. I have a very um, goal-oriented and um, thoughtful way of how I want to approach my day and what I want the outcome to be. By around like 4.30, 5 o'clock, I do something related to fitness again, something a little bit more aggressive like weight training or cardio. And then um, and then maybe I'll make myself something to eat and then go back to the office after that. And there's not really like a typical day. It's just mostly uh, work and health. And I'm working on incorporating more of a social life. <laughs> Do you feel like having that structure helps keep you on task when you have multiple projects in progress? Yeah, I, it's not even the structure because I wouldn't consider myself a structured person. It's just having um, thoughtfulness of what I want my day to look like by the end of the day. Um, every morning I have this thing that I write for myself. I call it the intent sheet and I write the date and I say, what are three things that um, will accelerate you forward um, and one in professional, one in health, one in personal, and then I have a bonus one. And then I have a question, what are three things you did yesterday that accelerated you forward in professional and health and in uh, personal? And so I'm able to kind of, um, you know, gauge. I don't really look back at it. It's just for me to gauge, like, am I doing okay? Am I taking enough time to be minded and groundful? Um, am I... Um, spending the right time on the right tasks in business. Tim Ferriss had this quote a long time ago, which was um, uh, not a direct quote, but a concept that was some people do a lot to feel busy, but they aren't actually being productive, you know? And so there's a difference between just doing a lot of stuff that's leading nowhere and actually making sure that goals are executed on and, and getting accomplished. Do you have a favorite long-term project either in the past or that you're working on right now? Wow, a favorite long-term project. I don't know if I've had a project. Well, I mean, I don't know if something I, the way I'll answer it is in two ways, but I don't know if it's necessarily a project. One, I, I've backpacked heavily. And so um, I love backpacking. I travel around the world, meeting women in tech around the world and celebrating them on the Women in Tech podcast. And I absolutely love doing that. I suppose that's a bit of a project, but I want it to be financially sustainable. <laughs> And, um, and then the other one would be, I don't know. I think, I think as far as project goes, maybe that's a a project because I never 
I never want um, women in tech to be a business, so to speak, but it does cost a lot of money to produce the show and to do the things that I do for the community. So I just want that to be sustainable. That certainly sounds like a big project to me. (laughs) What's the most boring but essential part of your day-to-day work? Boring. Wow. I think if I don't get bored often, um, if I am bored, I use it as an indicator that I'm not doing the right things. Um, the most essential part of my work, that's something that I think a lot of us should think about as entrepreneurs and fine tuning where we should spend our time. And I think my most essential time is spent on relationships and partnerships. And so I think that, um, the more I adapt my organization so that my time could be focused on that, the faster that we'll, we'll accelerate forward. Like one thing that I know how to do that I shouldn't be doing is designing websites or building websites. I'm not a programmer. I'm not an engineer, but I do know how to build a website and create it. I mean, there's just a million ways to do it if you just know enough. And because I've always had CTO co-founders, I think I've learned more about code than the average person. <laughs> and But I've had to ask myself, are you looking to be a professional programmer? No. Okay. Well, in that case, where should you, what what do you like really relish in? And I really relish in mutually beneficial relationships. So I'm like, that's where my time should be spent. And even if that means, you know, hosting the podcast and having a relationship there, that's where my time should be spent. There are so many opportunities in tech to do so many different projects from apps to blogging to podcasting. I like to think about my values first and whether this new idea is furthering them or just a distraction. Totally. Of course, I'm not perfect because every idea seems like the best idea before you started it. What skills do you find the most useful on a day-to-day basis? Decision As an entrepreneur and a, and a professional, decision-making. Um, I think decision-making is huge, especially as a leader. Um, as an entrepreneur, being compassionate to other, actually as a professional being compassionate to others and as an entrepreneur being compassionate to myself, (laughs) I'm so hard on myself. And, um, so compassion, decisiveness, and I, I guess the last one kind of falls in line with compassion because it's, it's the ability to inspire and motivate others. But I think the, the ability to do that means you're kind of, at least how I like to mean it is that you're coming from an authentic, genuine place that's compassionate. And because you feel that depth of compassion in, and the consequence is inspiring and motivating others. If anyone thinks they are not good at decision-making, is there anything you can suggest for them to get better at it? Yeah. Decide. (laughs) (laughs) No, really. I, I think what holds us back from, decision-making is the fear that we're making the wrong decision or the fear in not knowing the best decision to make. And really just what we need to do is just make a decision and then it's either going to work out or not. And if it doesn't make more decisions and problem solve, and it does make more decisions and scale it. Are there any skills that you are advised to have that you never use at all? Hmm. I mean, I took, college math and I was terrible at it and I wish I was better I think I I barely use that and I wish I had like a master's in mathematics so I could be better at financials (laughs) um 
What have I, I don't think so. Uh, I utilized my, um, my creative writing pursuits in college and in high school. And I was a high school journalist, all of that I use today. So, which is great. And, um, yeah, everything I've ever studied I've used, which is interesting because I think if, if, if someone aspiring to be in business asked, should I get a creative writing degree or a business degree? I'd say a creative writing degree. Because creative writing is um, contracts, it's storytelling, it's marketing, it's relationships, it's um, branding, it's everything in business. And um, there's a lot of illusion in um, in business classes of if you learn how someone else did something, you're automatically going to be able to replicate that success. And it's just not, I mean, maybe, you know, I hope for some people that's true, but I think for the vast majority, it's not. I read every single real estate investing book I could get my hands on and I didn't learn anything about real estate investing until I started investing in real estate and it was horrific and hard and and I had read so much. <laughs> so I I think, you know, execution is the biggest um, teacher and we're all, including me, we're all so afraid to execute. I mean, maybe not all of us. Maybe, again, there's some people out there that aren't and kudos to them. I admire them, you know. But I think it's very common to be afraid to execute because we're afraid of failing or afraid of doing something wrong or afraid of how we'll look or, or public perception or whatever, right? Or afraid of letting ourselves down. And so um, I think execution, once we can get past ourselves and just embrace, you know, the, the teacher around the corner, that's when, uh, that's when we'll accelerate forward. I think one of the nice things about being in tech is learning about the Agile method and how it can apply to more than just your engineering team. You can apply it to your life and just try things. You might be terrible and you might fail, but you can keep iterating and get better. The more you fail, the more you realize you can just get back up again and try that project or try something else. Totally. What keeps you excited every day? What keeps you working? It's strange, and I want to be really candid about this because it's it's very interesting. So, yes, I feel the energy of excitement about working. A lot of people say um, uh, doing X, Y, Z must make you happy. I think joy and happiness are different than living a purposeful life. So, for me, joy and happiness come with an air of calm and meditation and quality time with friends. And, um, and then, but that doesn't necessarily fulfill my purpose and my purpose is what I do in my work. So I feel so lucky and in, um, man's search for meaning by, by Viktor Frankl, he said the way he survived the Holocaust was to find a meaning larger than himself. Like there was a bigger reason for him being there, you know, than just the pain he was experiencing in the moment. And that really moved me. And I was like, well, what's, what's the, what's the purpose that I'm living that's bigger than just about me? You know, what's the selfless purpose? And I feel so lucky, um, to have found that in, um, being able to serve others and see the positive impact that I create. So I feel very attached or the positive impact that, you know, I contribute to my work that my work creates or however you want to say it. I hope to say it in the most non-egotistical way, but, um, that, that I found a sense of purpose is, is what drives me with my work. And um, I feel grateful to have that sense of purpose. 
but then that's why in my morning things, it's not just about business or um, health or personal. And that's why personal and health are separate because um, the joy and the happiness comes from making sure that I'm incorporating that personal life and that I'm taking care of my state of mind and my body. I've definitely found personally, if I focus too far on one part of my life, it can really throw me off. Like, if I'm just focusing on my health or my work or I've been watching TV, it can feel unsatisfying. But if I make sure to do a mix of activities and time box how long I spend on any given thing, it makes everything more enjoyable. Yeah. Since you are so well-connected in tech, I wanted to take a deeper dive in trends that you've observed. Can you tell me what you think is the biggest challenge when hiring for a technical team? Yeah, well, um, developers specifically, I've always had to rely on the CTOs that I've worked with because you don't know, like, I'm not a coder. I just happen to know how to build a website. So you have to know what to be looking for. One thing that I learned from my co-founders have been, you know, um, just because we can build a feature doesn't mean we should. And so people will tell you all this stuff that they can do. And you have to be careful about a salesperson versus someone that can actually do the work. And just because, um, you know, you know, uh, the, you know, Python or Java doesn't mean necessarily those coding languages are the right fit for your project and to not know which language necessarily is the right fit for your project and, and what you want it to, to do, um, and how you want it to perform or look like these are all things you have to research beforehand. And if I didn't have, you know, technical co-founders um, to learn from, I would have never even known that bit. So I think the hardest part about tech is that it could be very daunting um, unless you're an actual coder and it makes it very easy for a coder to, or, or like a, a coder that maybe doesn't have enough experience or isn't very great as job to like kind of BS their way to an opportunity and then that to be ruined for the non-technical, um, you know, teammate. Um, so I think that's tough. I think being in tech, keeping up with how technology is constantly changing and algorithms are constantly changing and, um, the social landscape, like the digital world and, and how important, I mean, there's just so much um, from the te the tech side of advertising and tracking things and analytics and just everything. It's just, it's very, it's a lot. And every year it becomes more and more. And then another thing is, especially in the tech world, we have all these tools to help us, quote unquote, make life easier. But then when you have all these tools almost doing the same thing, you're like, which tool is it? And then you pick a tool and then you have to integrate the tool. <laughs> so it's just this nonstop kind of daunting way. And I, I do think the the coder has the power because they understand everything the most. Um, if that makes sense. I don't know if I said that clearly enough, but um, I really think the person who knows to, how to program, like seriously knows how to program in the most languages possible, really can understand the internet at the highest level. <laughs> It sounds like for you, when you've been looking for a technical team, one of the biggest challenges is making sure they're skilled as they say they are. How do you determine that? Is it portfolio, coding challenge, recommendations, or something else? 
Well, there's a few things. One, I have trusted people around me that I would ask, you know, as my advisors, can you, can you check that they're the right fit? But like little simple things, like do they document their code? Like is, is their code written in a way that's, you know, there's, I forget what it is, um, but there's like three types of coders. Maybe you'll, you remember it. And like one of them is like kind of like the wild, wild west. And then the other one documents everything. Do you remember what I'm talking about? It's just like, um, I think it was like a, a, a meme or something that went around for a while. <laughs> I don't know that one specifically, but I understand what you mean. There's definitely seems to be a range of coders from those that like the blank slate and rapid prototyping to those that enjoy the more robust tech stack. And it can change throughout your career depending on what you want to tackle next. Yeah. See, so it's not just about coding. It's about what type of, of programmer is that? Are they a programmer? Uh, you know, where do they fit in the scope of what you just mentioned? Where do they fit in the scope of uh, of style of code? You know, how, the, how they write it or what they perform. So I, what I like to do is um, really understand what outcome I want and then, and then um, ask my, you know, trusted peers like, Hey, can you vet this person? Here's the outcome. Do they match up? But it's, it's, as a non-technical person, um, it's, it's nerve wracking, not knowing who to hire and not knowing if you're building stuff in the most secure way. And, um, even when you think you have the best of the best, something can go skew, you know, the programmer has the power. (laughs) That's very flattering as an engineer to hear that. But I can definitely understand it can be scary to trust the idea you've had for so long, um, along with your money and your reputation and so on else. It doesn't seem like there's much you can do besides do your best to find the right people and make sure you're as formed as possible if they're going in the wrong direction. What do you think a new grad or a career changer can do to stand out when job hunting? I think it's about, well, if they have the talent or ability to learn design. I think design is a really com- a power. I keep using the word powerful, but really it makes it makes a big impact in communication. And so the more effective you could present yourself, or even if you're really creative, the creative way you could present yourself. For example, um, I also think to take ownership of where you're at and where you want to be, and find the opportunities for you. So if you're um, a lower level engineer. So you need a more mentorship kind of atmosphere. Look for the big opportunities where you can, you know, um, be in that mentorship type of culture where they need a junior engineer. Um, And definitely uh, be willing in the beginning to take those projects just for learning if you're able to. Um, That's really important as well to not just say, okay, I went through, you know, XYZ programming school, give me the money. (laughs) All of us probably have worked in exchange for uh, life learning at some point, and there, that's not beneath you. It's okay to be a barista and a programmer if um, if you're utilizing it to step into a really wonderful opportunity that maybe is just like six months out, and you just have to prove that you can be a part of their culture, and then big tech company hires you because of it. Um, so... Be creative with your life and stand out by being willing to learn, by uh, thinking of creative approaches to find the right people. For example, there was one um, 
person who advertised themselves via Google ads and targeted the hiring people at the company that they wanted to work for. I mean, there's always a way, right? And then uh, uh, if you have this really visually dynamic resume, uh, maybe it's coded in a way on, on your site that just really is different than anything else that you've seen. Think about all the ways that you could be a little bit creative and, um, and legitimately stand out from just a stack of, of, of resumes. I'd like to talk about events since you've done a lot of those. When I've spoken to other community leaders in LA, they often talk about similar issues. One of those is the fact that they'll get a lot of RSVPs, but not a lot of attendance. The other is having a diversity of attendees. How do you approach these problems? So it see, I definitely um, have thought about diversity, um, mainly because I, it's important that We Are LA Tech is an inclusive uh, organization. And um, sometimes it's just a matter of not knowing. My mom says half of the world is searching for the other half of the world. They just don't know how to find one another. So if someone's not a part of We Are LA Tech, it means like I'm not setting up the right communication channels, right? So the way I target diversity is I have a lot of conversations with a lot of different people and I just do my best to educate so that I can set up those communication channels where they need to be. Um, as far as attendee, I feel very lucky that I don't have that problem, but it's not because of, um, it's not because I'm any better or worse than any other organization. It's because we have systems in place um, to reduce uh, flakiness, and we have a hardcore no-flake policy within the We Are LA Tech Experience Club. So in general, We Are LA Tech events, we have a no-flake policy, but we also do a very systematic thing to make sure that there's no flaking. We have an internal approach. And then for the Experience Club, which is our private paid membership, we have a no-flake policy. So you'll be booted from the club if you flake. I can definitely see how being that strict helps you from plenty of events where only a few people show up. Uh, it can be very disheartening when you have an open door policy and you only have a few attendees. Totally. Because I had, were you at it? The women, yeah, I think you were. I feel like the women in tech gathering that we had last, oh my gosh, almost a year ago now. You were there, right? Yeah, the one at the store. Yeah. So that one was supposed to be 20 people. And 80 people showed up. <laughs> like, I have the opposite problem. <laughs> so, so yeah. Like, whoa. Yeah, that was, that was crazy. But so that's, that's, like, that's my reality, which is great. But then for me, it led me to be like, okay, how do I serve these people in a more intimate environment? How do I do this? Do I want that responsibility? I take, I take community... Um, appreciation very seriously. Uh, just yesterday, I randomly met with this investor um, because I wanted to be supportive of the investor, uh, nothing to do with um, them contributing to me. And they were incredibly critical of how I run We Are LA Tech. And I left feeling so bad, but it was the same conversation that just doesn't digest well for me. The conversation was, oh, why are you doing it that way when you could just charge a lot less and have everybody in? And my immediate you know, reaction is, yeah, but how do I d deliver value 
like, what's the value everybody's getting? Like, like I, I'm not doing this for a get rich quick scheme. I'm, I'm doing this to create the highest amount of value in people's lives. Like they matter to me. And, and the, and it always goes back to, Oh, Oh yeah. But you'll have like, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars every month. <laughs> and, and I just, I'm not motivated by money. I'm motivated by impact. And so those type, kind of conversations make me really uncomfortable because I feel uh, I feel really misunderstood and I feel like, God, is it only me that's truly just embracing the community and making and really genuinely caring about how each person's doing? It's I know I'm a little bit strange in that way. I don't even know how I ended up caring so much. It's just like built in my, you know, cells, but I do. And so, so yeah, when we have 80 people show up to a 20 person event, my immediate thing is wow, how do I deliver since all these people want to benefit from that? How do I deliver in a really meaningful, impactful way and make it so it could be 20, but everybody can have, you know, it's where my head goes. (laughs) (laughs) So when that happens, do you think I need to have three events with 20 people or just a bigger venue next time? Three events with 20 people. Yeah. So the pitch that I get from everyone else is, oh, just have more people. And then you can make more money and this and this and that. And you know, the event that you were at, that didn't cost anything. It was all out of my pocket. Like it, they're all, they're always out of my pocket, which is a separate conversation, but like, but, um, but uh, yeah, it, I really love intimacy and, and meaningful engagement. You saw, even with 80 people, I had the whole room still introduce themselves and tr- attempted my best to have it go as fast and with as much ease as possible. But, um, but I think it's important to have those like, intimate, high quality connections rather than just this like mass networking event where you're just a name tag and a job title. I can definitely see the value of that. Sometimes in the larger events, you can introduce yourself, talk about what you're working on, maybe go back and forth a little bit, but not necessarily go deeper. When you're in a smaller venue where everyone is talking together, you can get more interesting conversations. Totally. So asking for a friend, definitely not me, but if someone <laughs> to host their own successful podcast, what advice would you give? Well, I'd say a great podcast to be inspired by is um, 20 Minute VC by Harry Stebbings. Like the reason why I think one, it's 20 Minute VC is about venture capital. It's super focused. I think, and no offense to Harry, I think he's amazing. So Harry, if you're listening, I love you. But the audio quality still isn't 100%. And his podcast gets like millions of listens. So I think kind of putting the perfection to the side is great. And just focusing on the value. I highly recommend putting the audience before the ego. Because I think a lot of times we just want to talk about what we want to talk about, but it's not about us. It's about the audience. So asking ourselves as we're doing the episodes, um, is this what the audience wants to hear? Or what can I do more for the audience? Um, and, uh, this is more just like on the design side, but having artwork with the different episodes. So people see something different on social. Um, so they don't start to develop, um, like banner blindness kind of, things. Um, and consistency is huge to be consistent, um, to definitely ask your friends to rate and review. (laughs) And, um, 
I'm biased, but I use Simplecast. I've been a Simplecast customer since 2014. And now I work um, with the Simplecast team as well. And so I definitely think that um, Simplecast is just awesome. It makes it really simple to get it on Apple and Spotify and Google and have the best analytics and all that good stuff. I like their one-page website. Um, and, um, and to just do it, I give a lot of talks on podcasting and it's so interesting. Like most of the people are always so worried about being perfect that they don't take any step forward at all. And me too. I'm like worried about that. Maybe not with my podcast anymore. Um, but I'm worried about that in, you know, other areas of my business and my life. And we just got to move forward. Like I said, the, the, the person who executes is the person who wins because the learning opportunities present themselves as long as we're executing. Uh, I definitely agree with that wholeheartedly. I felt like the putting up the first episode was the hardest episode and it took so long. And now it's like, okay, I, that, that worked. Let's just uh, let's keep going a little bit. Let's make some momentum. And it's been a lot, been a lot easier. Uh, <laughs> I'm grateful to be on your show. Thank you so much for the opportunity of letting me be on your show. Oh, thank you. It's been it's been a wonderful conversation. Uh, so what what's your next step? What's the next big thing you want to work on? I've always felt that I'm more of an artist than a business person. Like I'm definitely a business person in my interest in business. But I'm led, like I said, by impact, by creativity, by heart. And um, what happens is, is sometimes I don't build the back end as smart as it needs to be built operationally because I'm so fixated on the end deliverable that I'm not paying attention to like, am I in the red, you know? Um, so I think the next thing for me is making sure I learned the hard way in order to serve community. The best way to do that is to build, build a sustainable business that can afford to serve the community. And so my next step is to making sure that everything I do is sustainable so that I could serve with ease. That, uh, that makes total sense. I think the easier you make it for yourself, the less chance you get burned out, which seems to be the biggest thing that happens when I talk to other people who are in the same situation where they're community leaders or trying to you know, move causes along where it just takes so much of your time and gets so frustrating that you can give up and get burned out. Totally. Are there any other technical organizations you'd like to recommend to the audience? Tech organ I mean, there's so many. There's one in, I think it was like Oklahoma that has a free coding camp that I thought was amazing. I have to look it up. Obviously, listen to the Women in Tech podcast because there's so many inspiring stories from all the women on there. And, and I focus on, you know, asking them about the resources that they've accessed to get to where they are today. So tons of resources there. Um, there, the, I took a coding uh, school called One Month. I really liked how it was structured. Um, uh, I, I didn't end up as I, I think that's when I did the self-check of like, do I want to be a coder, you know? And so um, I can't tell you like the outcome or the job placement. There's also, um, is it Hacker? No, not a Hacker Fund. What was it called? Um, there's just so many that like, but you know what I would do is I would make sure sometimes there's these coding schools that uh, like are really um, popular, but they actually don't teach you how to code well. 
So I would kind of like how I do when I'm hiring people, I would check with people you trust within the coding industry and uh, have them vet the schools for you or say, hey, does this look like solid code? Or like check the alumni networks that they have and see if they've been placed in jobs. Like start with the end and then work backwards. Um, Kind of like when I'm looking to work with a brand, sometimes I'll research what ad agency they're represented by and then I'll reach out to that ad agency. So I'll start with the brand, go to the ad agency and reach out. You know, so start with the end point and then go back to the beginning to make your choice. That's really excellent advice. If our listeners want to reach out to you via social media, how should they reach out? I think I enjoy Twitter the most. I'm at Esprit Devore on Twitter, E-S-P-R-E-E, last name D-E-V, like Victor, O-R-A. Um, yeah, I really, Twitter's my steez. Definitely always feel free. I'm really committed to everyone's success. I do my best to be as supportive as possible because I just know how hard it is to be in the world of tech and to be an entrepreneur, all of it. I've been in it for a long time and, and I get the struggles of it and I also get the lifestyle of it. So I just like to be a really supportive person so you don't have to be alone in the journey. That's a really great attitude and it really warms my heart that you're giving back to the community. So this next part of the interview, I normally edit out, but since Esprit turned the tables on me, I thought it would be fun to share. So I'm ready to wrap up. I just want to make sure you had were able to promote everything you'd like to promote on the podcast. There's one thing I'd like to promote. You, can we please talk about um, your goal for speaking engagements? Can we talk about that for a second? And because maybe somebody listening needs you and they just don't know that you're existing in that capacity. That is my ask. The last couple of months that I really love speaking, I really like teaching people. I really like bringing more people into the community. For me, it's all about creating the tech community I want to work in. Like if I want to work in a better place, the best way is to find cooler people and raise them up and bring them in. And just, I really enjoy that. Also the performance aspect of it. I think that comes from when I did like theater in high school and I really liked it. And in my mind, I always think I could be a stand-up comic one day. Uh, so that kind of, kind of feels that feeds that urge to kind of stand up and perform in front of people. So I really like it. I love it. Have you gone to any improv schools? I haven't. So is that is that your next project? Because I even went to um, which one was I think did I do Second City? Man, I can't remember right now. I think it was I did two sessions at Second City, at, in order to become a better speaker. <laughs> I have I've actually heard that before as well. I did do like a workshop on improv, and it was really fun, just like a one day thing at a conference. So so maybe one day uh, when I see do like you know. It's hard when I have so much going on, but uh, maybe maybe in a lull in conference season, I'll get a chance to do something like that. I'm excited for you. So, so if you could have one ask of your audience related to speaking that can happen by the end of quarter one of this year, what would that ask be? I think it would be to just come have me speak at your organization. I have a few talks prepared, both technical and soft skills. These include topics from how to do an elevator pitch to how, make, how to make a serverless app. I'm also happy to do panels or fireside chats. Clearly, I like talking. I wouldn't enjoy having a podcast so much. So if someone listening wants to talk, she has extensive experience that she is being humble about and not mentioning on this episode, evidently. But trust you and me, she is someone to talk to. And so uh, make sure that you reach out.
Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Yeah, 100%. Thank you for this opportunity. To keep up to date on upcoming episodes or to continue the conversation, please follow us on Twitter at FromSourcePod. If you'd like to share your journey with our audience or have any questions about the podcast, please email me at FromTheSourcePod at gmail.com.